Well, it looks like I'm going to be late to the combine, and I really don't mind because I want to hear some more stories from Gary T. Cole Playboy. And uh, so I'm going to go get him some more coffee. So check back here for the second segment with Gary T. Cole Playboy on the drive on the road with Ryan Blake. Oh, yeah. It's all about the drive, baby. Okay, I'm here with Gary Cole. Gary T. Cole, actually. And why why Gary T. Cole? <laughs> because there's an actor named Gary Cole who usually plays villains in the movies and on TV, so I had to differentiate myself from him. But... Uh, uh, He's from Chicago, by the way, as well. Yeah. And, uh, and he and I have talked. As a matter of fact, at one point we talked about starting a club, and the only <laughs> uh, the only thing you needed for membership was the name Gary Cole. It would be for Gary Coles only. There was a third Gary Cole in Chicago, so uh, that's as far as it got. Was well, the, was a three man club. What, what's the initiation fee to get a- in? Actually, it was only a fee to get out. There was nothing to get in. So. <laughs> okay. All right, this is Ryan Blake with the drive. We're here at the uh, in Chicago at the uh, Intercontinental Hotel on the Magnificent Mile. Uh, here for the Chicago uh, Draft Combine. Um, so I'm with Gary T. Cole, who is the director of photography and senior VP of Playboy Enterprises for over 30 years. Yeah, managing the acquisition of all photography for Playboy and supervised photographers and production staff, studios in Chicago and Los Angeles, film and digital labs and photo archives. Yet, you also served as the editorial director and sports director in its formative years while uh, writing over 50 major articles for magazines, including college football and basketball, while also selecting the Playboy's prestigious Playboy Playboy All-American teams. Now, you also acted as an on-camera expert on numerous college football preview TV shows, which is, I don't remember that, and when I went back to look at it, well, I have all those tapes, Ryan, if you'd like to review some yes, of my... Yes, please. Yes, yes. <laughs> some of my history. Uh, let me tell you, uh, on camera is not my best. <laughs> it's not my best angle. I have a face for radio. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. But uh, it, all of that sounds very impressive, really, in reality. Maybe not quite as impressive as you made it sound. But I did have, I did have two dream jobs at Playboy. One was being the photography director, which meant uh, when I was walking down the street with my wife and I looked at, a, at a, a pretty girl passing by and she would give me that dirty look, I would say, but honey, I'm working. And then, and then when I would get home at night and turn on the football or basketball game and sit there, honey, I'm still working. So it, it, was, a, it was an unusually good gig for a long time. That is brilliant. Now, okay, so you start out in Playboy in the late '60s, right? Like, as, as I think it was a book editor. I was started out as a book editor. Um, I knew uh, nothing about photography, but I got involved in editing books that required photography. So I uh, got to be buddies with the head of the photo department. Then, then I left Playboy because our uh, the book department was kind of a, a dead end there. And I went to work for a couple of other places, including uh, CBS and, uh, and and a photography studio. And then I came back to Playboy in 1970 
in the photo department, which is where any red-blooded American would want to work. Yeah. You want to be, <laughs> be at the heart of the artichoke, you know, and that's, that's it. So um, that was great. And almost immediately, somebody said to me, would you like to go up to Lake Geneva this next weekend and supervise the shoot of the Playboy All-America football team? And I knew about the Playboy All-America thing where they invited the best players, they predicted the best players in the country, and they had them together for a weekend to take a team photo. And I went up there, and uh, there was Tony Dorsett, and Johnny Majors was the coach, and I was like, this is the greatest gig in the world. And so when I came back, I said, anytime you want me to do that, I will do it. And, uh, and that started me in a strange serendipity path along to uh, to what I eventually did was was doing the selections myself, but just to just to back up a little bit, um, Playboy uh, picked its first uh, college All-America football team in 1957. They had taken the idea from Collier's magazine. Collier's had taken the idea from Walter Camp's very original uh, All-America team, which he did as a device to get more publicity. For right, football, right. for college football, okay. and it carried on through those years. And when Co when Colliers went bust in '56, uh, Hefner, who had started his magazine three years earlier, recognized that that was a great franchise, and so he um, he said, "I, I want to do that in Playboy." And in fact, he hired the guy who was doing it for Colliers, a guy named Francis Wallace, who did the first, who picked the first team. We didn't do a weekend then, but he just picked the team and they published the team results. And this was a preseason team. Anybody can pick postseason All-America teams. Right, Picking right, preseason right. teams. That's, that's the tough. Yeah, that's, the, that's the tough gig. Yeah. And uh, Francis Wallace did that for one year and then uh, I guess got some heat from his uh, strict Catholic family about working for a, quote, girly magazine, unquote. And, uh, and so he said, I'm not going to do it again. So Hefner turned to his little staff that all fit in one booth at the at the corner deli. Who's going to do this? How are we going to do this? And Anson Mount, uh, uh, a philosophy major who uh, hailed from White Bluff, Tennessee, said, Hef, I'll do it. And, uh, and so then Anson became the Playboy sports prognosticator. Wow. And, and when I went up on that weekend in 1970, I met Anson. And Anson and I became good friends, and we then traveled along together every uh, year doing the Playboy thing, and I helped him bring the team in and made sure we got the team photo. And along the way, I met Gil Brandt, who was then the director of player personnel for the Dallas Cowboys, and he, he was helping out because Gil was a smart guy who wanted to, to learn anything he could about the college football players so that he could put that in his computer nice. brain yes. when it came draft time. I remember that guy. He's a good guy. He's an organized guy. Or that guy is kind of a squirrely guy. So that just became another piece of information for him. And, uh, and so Playboy did that uh, All-America uh, team then for, well, it was well over 50 years by the time Playboy reached its... Zenith and uh, 
and began its descent, you know. So, so when, when you started getting into that, did you, um, obviously, you went up for that first weekend, did you say, okay, I got to start watching more football? I did. <laughs> I did. I was already a football fan, but yeah. I did. Yes, yeah. I did. And also, when I, well, let me jump forward. Um, along the way, in the late 70s, a lot of people think Hugh Hefner wasn't a sports fan. They couldn't be more wrong. Really? He was an avid sports fan, as he was avid about everything that he had an interest in. And he always took things to the next level. He loved jazz. jazz. So what did he do? He organized a jazz festival. He loved college football, and at first, instead of just picking the team and publishing the results, he said, why don't we have all these players together and take a team photo? And honestly, I don't know how they did it in the early days. I don't know how they convinced the schools, schools yeah. to allow their players to come to Chicago. But you know, in the back in the in those days, it was not a the PC thing wasn't such a big deal. Things yeah. were a lot more relaxed, and people weren't as fearful of getting bad press. Or yeah. there was just wasn't that much sensitivity about that thing, and um, and they managed to do it. And so then in the 70s, he said, you know, college football is getting to be really popular. Let's do an, a college All-America preseason basketball team as well. And, uh, and so in 77, that was added on to Anson's In 77? 77 wow. was the first one. Dean's, we've always had a coach of the year on the football, and we have one. In, and as a matter of fact, Dean Smith was the first coach of the year and Larry Bird was on that first team and then the next year Larry Bird was on the team again that was back in the days when guys stayed in college, <laughs> stayed in college yeah. uh, Larry Bird was on the team again and Magic Johnson was on that team and uh, again I went along for the ride and I'm like wow this is the greatest thing in the world and then did they do weekends? They did weekends, then, okay, yeah. Okay. They and did always weekends. in Chicago? Well, in the early days, it was always in Chicago, and sometimes they did it at Lake Geneva, which was yeah. uh, a Playboy resort that was only uh, 65 miles away. So you could do it up there. And uh, I think Marty went up there for once. Yeah. I, think, I think he did. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. But when Anson passed away suddenly in, ninth, I think it was the end of 1987, he was such a great guy, and I remember I went down, he was, he was mortally ill, and I went down to see him in the hospital in, uh, in Nashville, and he was delirious at that point, and I went into the room, and I took his hand, and he looked at me and he said, did I finish my article? <laughs> he wanted to know if he finished his, his football article, really? and I said, yeah, Anson, you've You've finished your article. You've you've done it. It's yeah. good, and it's good, Anson. And he smiled, and that was the last. That was the last thing he said to me. That's how. Really? But he was really important to him. He's and passionate about it. Yeah. Too. And on my way on the airplane back from Nashville back to Chicago, I was thinking, Wow, this great Playboy thing in football and basketball. What's going to happen to it now that Anson's gone? He'd been doing it for twenty nine. The football for twenty nine years, and the basketball for. 10 or 11 since that started. And I thought, nobody's going to take, if we hire some outside guy, they're not going to care for it the way Anson did. And so when I got back to Chicago, I wrote Hefner a memo and said, you know, I, 
I've been going along on these things. I kind of know how it was done. I actually had some background as a writer. I studied writing, and that was my major in college. Yeah. And uh, how about letting me do it? And uh, he called me on the phone, and he said, well, okay, here's the deal. Your photo job is your first job. The sports job is your second yeah. job. Don't ever let me catch you putting your second job ahead of your first job. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it's a deal. And, and that was it. And then the next obstacle I ran into, I called, I think I called somebody to invite a football player at Michigan State. And they went, well, we don't know. You know, now that Anson's gone, Really? We don't know if we want to do this anymore, blah, blah, blah. And I get started getting, I don't think you're going to be able to pull this thing together. And I hung up the phone. And went, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I called Gil Brandt. He said, don't worry. I'll take care of it. He's, he was then, and I think probably, maybe even today, today, one of the most connected guys in sports. He knows everybody. And Gil made some calls, and he helped me. And then when it came to basketball, I had the same thing. What am I going to do? You know, I, I know a bit about college basketball. I don't know enough to really intelligently make all these picks. How can you separate the 10 best guys? Because we picked, that's what our basketball right, team right. was, 10 guys, two at each position. How do I separate that up from the 50 really good players in the country? And Marty Blake was at, was Anson's friend, and I call Marty hesitantly. I go, you know it, all right? And you know what he said. He, he said, who is this again? And I told him, and he said, ah, I'll help you. Don't worry about it. You know, well, what, 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 who you got on the list? So I started going through players, and I would name a name, and he said, ah, that guy can't play. <laughs> oh, that guy. He's a C&P. Yeah, He's yeah, a C&P. Yeah, right. Yeah, that guy can't play. And Marty and I became good friends, yeah. and uh, it was a relationship that that I got all the advantage out of because he was a treasure trove, as you know, a treasure trove of information, yeah. and uh, and I was always on the receiving end. I had really nothing to give back except to laugh at his jokes, <laughs> and he always had a joke. And my uh, my secretary, who I had the same secretary for years and years. At first, Marty would call her and say, this is Professor Bumpkus calling from Washington, D.C. or some, something like that. And after a while, she'd say, there's some Professor Bumpkus. And after a while, she caught on. She says, oh, it's that goofy Marty, Marty Blake calling again. But after a while, she got to love his different characters yeah. as well because he, uh, he, he, he always could come up with with the new one, and he always had he always had a joke that we had to go through before uh, we could get to the basketball. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, re I remember. I mean, uh, we would we'd have uh, we'd have uh, uh, what we call Playboy Day, uh, which where we would make sure that we had everything focused on our itinerary and who the players we were going to get narrowed down to, and then we'd set up our meeting, of course, with you. But what year did? Did he climb on board with that? Do you remember or what what years did he start? Anson? No, Pops. Oh, I was that right from year one. Yeah, what? I mean, I think I think it's when they first started the basket, the All America yeah. basketball. I think he, I think he helped Anson with the very first one. Is that right? Yeah, 
Anson would come up from, uh, from and Anson had a lot of anxiety about this whole thing. It wasn't yeah. easy for him. Yeah. And uh, he I can't would come imagine. Up, I can't imagine. He would that. come up to Chicago. They would give him an office. He would get on the phone, start calling schools, talk whether it was football. He's talking to Gil. Basketball. He's talking to Marty. And he would literally sleep in his in the office. He didn't even get a hotel room. He would sleep and then kind of work kind of straight through for four or five days, get it all done, and then that was that was after we had the weekend. He'd actually do the article, and they just work straight through on it. But one of the things I found out about Anson is it made him nervous. So sometimes on football, and I found this out after Anson was gone, you'd make a pick. Oh, I think. Uh, uh, Kansas State is going to, I remember one year I picked Kansas State to win the national championship. And of course, they lost in the Big 12 championship yeah. by a fluky touchdown. And I remember how depressing that was. And it was the same thing with, with Anson, he, he would get where he couldn't watch some of the games. He'd call wow. me up and say, what happened? What, what, who, how did they look? Good stuff. It just, it just worried the oh. heck out of him. But... Um, Without Marty, and then after Marty was gone, uh, without you, uh, we couldn't have we couldn't have done it all those years. Well, y'all so. did y'all did a great job, and um, I, I thought what was a cool thing too is that I mean you would bring the players, the preseason players, up for a weekend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, tell me about some of the the weekends. Now I'm not. You can give me some good stories, some funny <laughs> stories and stuff like that, but take well, us through like some of the things that you would do for the players. Yeah, well, the, I mean, typically the way the weekend worked is the players, uh, by the way, the football weekend was always Mother's Day weekend because that was in between spring practice and when players got busy doing other stuff. And the basketball weekend we had to kind of work in in June sometime between, again, between things. But I was reflecting on this. I would look back at some of the old tear sheets that I kept from the old weekends. And I think the biggest change, I was thinking about how naive everybody was at the beginning. We had Keith Lee from Memphis State. When he came to Chicago, he'd never ridden in an elevator. Really? He'd never been in a high rise. He'd never eaten at a fancy restaurant. And it was all, and, and you know what? It scared the heck out of him. Really? He almost wanted to leave and go back home. My wife, who helped me with, even before we were married, I remember her sitting down with Keith and calming him down and telling him every, he was very shy, and calming him down and convincing him everything's going to be okay. We'll, we'll walk you through this. You'll be okay. Uh, amazing, amazing. Uh, the year uh, uh, that we had uh, Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing on the preseason team, the year after Jordan had beaten uh, Georgetown in, in the game, really? was the first time that they met that? off the court in a social situation. And I can tell you, it wasn't friendly for the first few hours. They sat at different ends of the table and Patrick Ewing just glowered at uh, really? at Jordan. He was not happy. <laughs> yeah, you got two, you know, two of the most competitive people in the world. Oh my you god! Know? Oh my god! And I remember, uh, I remember asking Ewing because I don't know if you remember at the start of that game how he he goaltended like five or six times mm -hmm. on the five or six times. 
And I said, Patrick, what were you, what were you thinking? What were you doing? And he looked at me so sincerely, he said, Coach Thompson told me not to let anything go in. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so did, did, uh, they, did they? They did. They did. They, they, did. they, they warmed okay. up to each other. Okay. And, uh, and I think by the end of the weekend, they became good friends. And that was one of the, that was one of the nice things about the weekends is that the players got to see each other in a different context. And, and you learned a lot about guys. Um, we had Peyton Manning, on, of course, on our football team twice. Mm -hmm. And um, you could tell right away what a leader he was because on the first night that we had a welcoming dinner on the, fr on the Friday night, it was the beginning of the weekend, he literally went around and introduced himself to the other 22, 23 really? guys there and made a connection with them. And, and by the next morning, he was the leader of the group. And, really? and he had the respect of everybody in, in the group. And you could see this guy can not only throw the ball down the field well, he knows how to lead uh, people. And, and was Gil at these weekends? Oh, Gil yeah. never missed a weekend. And, and th this, is, this is interesting, too, because we've gone to uh, a couple of the, the dinners and so forth when, we'd have, uh, when you'd have the basketball right. uh, up here, and, and we got to meet, of course, the players as well. And we... Um, but getting to know the players outside of that and knowing their personality is one of the big things for NBA teams to get information on. You know, one of the big things about having an individual workout for the combine is actually, and GMs and decision makers told me, he's like, we like to pick them up from the airport, get to know them at dinner and so forth. And sometimes not necessarily the workout is that important to us if we have a good body of work with them. So Gil's got, uh, got had some good intel. Exactly. As a matter of fact, Anson told me that after they did the first weekend, Gil, he didn't know Gil Brandt for a whole yeah. while. Gil Brandt called him on the phone and said, Anson, I, I see you're doing this weekend thing. I'd like to, I'd like to come to the weekend. It'll, <laughs> it'll be at our, ex at, at my expense, yeah. and I, and I'd like to help you in any way I can. And you go, well. And, it, and he never missed a weekend after that, and he never missed a basketball weekend because even though he could, because yeah. it all interested him. Uh, and he, uh, he wanted to be there to see those players in those situations. Uh, we saw Brian Bosworth manage yeah. to get drunk before the welcoming dinner. Okay, good. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> somebody came yeah. up and said, Brian, this was, we had the weekend that year in Miami. And uh, one of the players came up and said, uh, Mr. Kohler, I think there's a problem. Brian Bosworth is, is downstairs, but he's lying underneath a palm tree and he's throwing up. Now, I don't know where he got the booze, but somehow he had managed to, uh, to do that. He redeemed himself. He sobered yeah. up the next day and was better. But there were, there were things you could tell about, uh, about players, about yeah. guys who were easygoing and guys quarterbacks you learned yeah. by position were cocky yeah. uh, for the most part. And sometimes not in a very good way. Not in a good yeah. way. Sometimes okay. not in a good way. And other guys would reveal certain personality flaws as well as personality strength. So there was a, it was a learning process and, uh, and uh, you know, and different things. I, uh, going back to Michael Jordan, the second year we had him on the team after the Patrick Ewing year, we had the weekend in New Orleans. And 
We are welcoming dinner on Friday. We did some activities on Saturday. We had an awards dinner on Saturday night, and we did the picture was supposed to be, we were doing it in the Tulane Gymnasium on Sunday morning. And I had the photographer flying in from Chicago late Saturday night, and so we got to the gym. They start setting up the equipment, and he comes to the photographer comes to me and says, they forgot to pack the light stands. I don't have any way to put the lights up. I don't have, because the concept we had. Mm -hmm. So we're like, oh my God, what are we gonna do? What are, we, have, we have to light this thing with all these guys in it. Well, they hit the town looking for somebody to open a equipment rental place or something on a Sunday morning. And I've got these 10 basketball players in the Tulane gym. They got a basketball. They started playing, they're scrimmaging. One of the really? greatest scrimmages I've ever seen. And my, there's Michael Jordan. There's Sam Perkins. There's, uh, who was that? I think Akeem Olajuwon was yeah. on that team. Oh, my God. And the only thing I'm thinking is, what if somebody gets hurt? <laughs> what am I going to do if somebody Ooh. gets hurt? But Ooh. I can tell you, even in that context, Michael Jordan shone. Yeah. You, you, there was a difference there. You could see it. You Talk about right. competitive. Hey, we're just goofing around here. Uh-uh. He doesn't do it. No, there was no yeah. goofing around. There was, it was winning. That was, that was what was important. That's to amazing to see that uh, back then. That is, that's unbelievable. And we had, no, we had no film camera to record that. Too bad. Too bad. But then as the years went on and I realized, you know, Playboy's doing this thing, and, and basically all we were getting out of it was this team photo in the magazine and, and the goodwill of the colleges and the fun of doing it and the information. So we I just we got to make a television show. We, we've got to, to go further. And that's when you were talking about the on-camera thing. That's We started making a college football preview show, and we made a college preview basketball show as well. That, like Bill Raftery and I were, mm -hmm. did, did a couple of those shows together. And uh, that, was, that was great fun. And that continued on and was very successful. But then some things began to change in college basketball. Uh, players, we, we never picked a player before he was in. We didn't pick an incoming freshman right. at all. We, we said, you got a player here. Well, mm -hmm. guys were going straight to the NBA. and Or they were one, they were one and done. Yeah. And so we weren't really, in some ways, we weren't really getting the players that everybody really wanted to see. We weren't getting Magic Johnson and Larry Bird right. and Michael Jordan and th those guys, and uh, and it was it was expensive. And the heyday of the magazine, when we were selling seven million copies a month, was declining. Things life was changing. Newsstands were disappearing. Uh, yeah, uh, the internet was coming yeah, along, was coming. and and magazines in general were were yeah. were on the decline. And so I think it was around 2008 that they said, well, we can't afford to do the, because it was an expensive undertaking. Yeah, it is. Uh, fly, and we fly, had to fly the players mm -hmm. and the coach. And, the, and the, in the early days, we flew everybody coach. I don't know how these seven-foot guys <coughs> or these 300-pound linemen rode Yeah, I was going to say, seat. you know, when you had that lighting issue, why didn't you just get Akeem and, and someone else <laughs> just to hold up the lights? <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good idea. But anyway, it was it was so much fun. I, uh, and say no, in all of those weekends, nobody ever got arrested. I don't want to say that Brian Bartlesworth was the only one that got drunk, 
we did have a golf cart accident at uh, Disney World one year. Uh, was there so water involved? There was water involved. <laughs> the golf cart, plural, wound up in the lake. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. Um, Jason Kidd uh, uh, arrived at our weekend and revealed to me after he'd been there a couple of hours, he had a napkin wrapped around his hand. I said, Jason, what's going on with your hand? He says, well, I cut it on a plane. I was, this is back in the days when they had real silverware on the yeah. plane. And we were, and he was putting butter on the bread and he cut his thumb. And I looked and I thought, oh my God, we got to get you to the emergency room. And I'm thinking, Jason Kidd cuts his hand and <laughs> can't play because he cuts his hand on the Playboy weekend. I'm seeing the headlines. I took him to the emergency room and they said, well, you waited too long to stitch it. But they, I don't know what they did. They, they put it together and obviously uh, he's, didn't. He did okay. He, he did, did okay. He's all right. He's, he, did, he did okay after that. Uh, Bob Huggins was the coach of the year that weekend. And uh, I, I loved Huggins. He was, he was a great, you know, the big bear of a yeah. guy. And uh, he had a good time. He came, you know, sometimes the coaches would come kind of reluctantly uh, I don't know what to expect and stuff. Right. And I, John Thompson was the same thing. I, I don't know if I want to come. I, I don't know if I want to be there. And then after they got there, they'd be, uh, well, can I stay an extra day? Or this is really <laughs> great or something. But uh, a few years later, we were down in Indianapolis for a Final Four, and it was long after the games were over. It was on the Saturday night after the semifinals were over. And I'm walking through the hotel, and I'm walking by the, this open bar at one o'clock in the morning, and there's Huggins in there telling stories, and he sees me, and he comes out and he goes, Gary, Gary, when are you gonna be, pick me as coach of the year again? I've been coaching my ass off. I'm like, all right, Bob, we'll try to get you. We'll try to get you again. I wanna come back <laughs> Yeah. Oh anyway, my God, that's a lot of beautiful. a lot of great memories and uh, and a lot of great players. Oh, you've uh, you've seen a lot of things. That's amazing, absolutely amazing. Well, hey, well, t tell me about um, the shoot the centerfold seminars and in the STC blog that you did. Okay, well, I after uh, I retired in. 2010, I believe it was. I felt like I had done my bit because I had I, I I became the photo director in '75, and I thought that's enough. And so I retired, and we were actually on, and they hired a guy to replace me, and they made a bad hire. They hired a guy who was a really nice guy. He was a photographer, but he wasn't he wasn't tuned in to the administrative part of what goes into all of that. And he wasn't tuned in to Hefner. Hefner yeah. I had been schooled in how to deal with Hefner. And I was on vacation in Montana and I got a phone call. And they said, uh, is there any way you might consider coming back for a while? We're having some issues. Because uh, my uh, successor had had the nerve to tell Hefner that he didn't like the way they were doing the Playmates. Oh. and. Uh, and Hefner said, who is this guy anyway? Get him out of here. <laughs> so I came back uh, as, a, as a consultant for a short lifetime. Uh, that was till 2011. But by then, 
I had turned the basketball, because it just all got to be too much. I was involved in the online thing, right. the football thing, the basketball thing, which required you know so much research. Uh, I just I couldn't keep up with it. I'm a bunch of kids at home, and uh, so I I handed the basketball thing off to David Kaplan. I'm sure you you must know mm -hmm. David Kaplan here yeah. in town, and David, he and I wrote the article together one year, and then he wrote it for a couple of more years on his own. But by then they weren't paying for the weekends, so the players were just pictured or they did yeah. artwork of the players and stuff, and that was the fade out scene of that. And then my thing in 2011, consultant thing ended as Playboy closed the Chicago offices and moved what was left of the company to LA. And they said, do you wanna go? And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> so that was the end of my thing. But one of the photographers started an interesting um, photo seminar and teaching thing for guys who were glamor photographers or wanted to be glamor photographers called Shoot the Centerfold. And he got the, the okay from Playboy to use that name. And then he wanted, then I joined them as a, a consultant. Right. And we had uh, teaching seminars, usually down in Miami, right. where we'd have a, a long weekend, bring bring guys down. We'd have two or three uh, ex-Playboy photographers down there to teach lighting techniques and posing techniques. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't nude, but it yeah. was lingerie in that we would have some pretty models there that they yeah. could work with and three or four or five sets. And then uh, it was very popular. And I would review the guy's work and say, this is what you need to work on. This is how you cool. need to market yourself. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes I would think to myself, get out of the business. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they all, you know, the sad thing of it was that they all, Playboy was the, the ultimate. You know, they all wanted right. to shoot for Playboy. And uh, honestly, what I saw is that era was ending. Ending. Uh, the era of print glamour photography was really kind of fading away. So I stayed with that for a few years until I called the fellow that runs it is named Yarmo. He's a Finn, Yarmo Pohemic. And I uh, called Yarmo. He says, are you coming down this, this year to do this thing? And I said, you know, Yarmo, between the blog that I've been writing and going down there and teaching this thing, I'm dry. I've, yeah. I've told them everything I know. I, I don't know anything else. And also, photography changed so much. Now everybody's a photographer. Everybody's yeah. got a camera in their pocket and in their right. phone, and uh, it's the business has changed. So I got out of that, and I'm trying to write a book, and and yes, I'm yeah. Very, I'm, I'm and, very interested to uh, to read that book. Yeah, too. well, I'm gonna. You, I'm trying to do my my memoirs. The funny thing, I have I you know the sports thing is going to be part of it, but I had in my the photo side of my life, I had a lot of dealings. What part of my job was um, trying to convince celebrities to be in the magazine, mm -hmm. and then being on a photo shoot. So whether it was Raquel Welch or uh, Farrah Fawcett or uh, Katerina Witt, the ice skater. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I had a lot of experiences, some not great experiences, uh, but um, I, I'll tell you one story from that. We did a, uh, we had a shooting, we, we had an idea to try to get uh, celebrities that might not otherwise pose for us to do a thing in which we would give their, their modeling fee 
to uh, AMFAR, Americans for AIDS Research. Okay. And I connected with this photographer in LA, a guy, a guy named Michelle Kumpt, and he was connected with a celebrity scene. Oh yes, he said, I can, I can put this together for you. I'll approach the celebrities and we'll do this. And he said, I can get, I can get uh, Dolly Parton, and I can get uh, this one and that one. He was telling me all the people he could get. I said, you could get Dolly Parton? Really? Oh yes, I can get Dolly Parton. She'll do it for sure, blah, blah, blah. So we gave him in advance, and I'm waiting to get results. And then he calls, and he says, well, I need more money. I do, do this and that. So we're in for a dime. We're in for a dollar. Yeah. We keep going with this thing. And I'm after a while, I'm beginning, you know, I don't know where this money's going. It might be going up his nose yeah. or something, because I, I I'm not seeing any right. results. Well, one day he calls me in the phone. He's going, I've got it. I've got it. I've got Dolly. I got it. I said, Michelle, you got you got Dolly Pardon? He said, No, I got the Dalai Lama. I'm like, the Dalai Lama? We don't want I don't want a picture of the Dalai Lama. To, to make a long story short, we did finally we never got Dolly Parton. Never but we Dali. did finally get some celebrities and one of the celebrities we got was Shannon Doherty. Yeah. Who was big that time mm -hmm. on 90210. Yeah. And we did get a nice shooting of her. And I remember telling Hefner, oh, yeah, we got Shannon Doherty. And he goes, who's that? He wasn't watching TV. No. I said, well, she's on 90210. Well, and we want to put her on the cover. Oh, she's, I don't know about that. Trust me. I remember me. that. Yeah, that she's big. a big deal. Yeah. So anyway, we did put her on the cover, and we ran the pictorial, and we gave some money to Amphar, and it was, yeah. it was a success. A couple of months later, my secretary says, Shannon Doherty is on the phone. She wants to talk to you. I get on the phone. Shannon says, uh, Gary, I want you to know I, I never got my modeling fee for being in the magazine. I said, well, Shannon, uh, the, everybody, we gave the modeling fee to Ampar. That was, it was all for charity. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. You might have to cut this out. She <laughs> said, I'm my own fucking charity. <laughs> yeah, she wanted the dough. So I don't know if Michelle left that out of the uh, out of the equation. <laughs> yes. Or whether she just changed her mind. But uh, we had already given her money away, so she didn't get any money. Well, what are some stories? Uh, I mean, you were... You were with Hef for so long, and I, I remember reading an article, I think he wrote for History Channel or History.com, and one of the things you wrote about, I think, was the demanding and long endurance meetings that yeah. you have uh, with with Hef or, you know, at, with a job. Um, tell, take us through, you know, a look for what a meeting would be like or any stories well, that go along with that. Yeah. Uh, First of all, I learned very quickly that Hefner was a genius of an editor. I mean, we all, all of us, the staff, uh, recognized that this guy had a incredible laser focus on the magazine. It was his, his first really, and honestly, I think really his only real love was that magazine. And... Um, he put all his energy and all his self, especially in the early days, he worked 
two and three days in a row. He used amphetamines to keep himself going. Then he would crash. We actually at the office, and he was at the mansion here in Chicago. Mm. He's from Chicago. Right. And, and uh, we were in the office. We literally knew if Hef was up or Hef was sleeping because he would be up for three days and projects would be moving or he would be asleep and everything would stop because no, no playmate, no picture, no idea got very far until Hef had signed off on it. And so once a week, the photo department had a meeting at the, at the Chicago mansion with Hef. These started about four o'clock in the afternoon at the end, towards the end of our workday. And we would take uh, all this material over there and go, and Hef would go through it in excruciating detail. Uh, where's this? Why is this period here? What, this picture is wrong. We should, we gotta redo this. Who was a better idea? And so many times, you, we would think about this stuff and plan for it, and you'd get over there, and he'd point something out, and you'd go, ah, why didn't I think of that? Really? Why didn't we think of that? That's yeah. so obvious, a better way of doing it. And he just, you, you, you just had to marvel at that, at that focus. Um, but he was in no hurry to get these meetings over. Yeah. So I remember my first meeting, and it was around, Two o'clock in the morning, and they would bring sandwiches in for us. He never ate, but they would bring sand a tray of sandwiches in for us, and we had he all he would do was drink his Pepsi's one yeah. after the other, one after the other. And I remember going in the bathroom and splashing cold water on my face. And I had seen the movie The Hustler not too long before that with Paul Newman, Paul Newman. and uh, and Jackie Gleason yeah. as what was it Fast Eddie? Yeah. Uh, or Minnesota Fast. Minnesota Fast. Minnesota, yeah. he, uh, Willie Paul Moscone Newman. and Minnesota Fast. Yeah, Eddie, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Paul Newman was oh, Fast Eddie. Yeah. And I went in there and I splashed, and it reminded me of a scene from that movie. And I, I thought, damn, I could do this. I could do this. Yeah. And, I, and just kind of just <laughs> wake yourself yeah. up and push yourself through it. And then we were supposed to be back at work the next day. It was, there was no, you know, I'd come out of that meeting and the sun would be coming up. And you go, well, should I go to sleep or should I just three cups of coffee and go back to work and but you know what it was it was fun it was exhilaration it was it was a rocket ride and if I can say this we were doing great magazines mm -hmm. Playboy anybody now the young people they don't know they see yeah. Playboy they think oh it's just new naked ladies and stuff I would just tell anybody who thinks that go find a copy of Playboy from mm -hmm. 1990 1975 and my producer Chris Amerson he still has a bunch of those yeah and when you look at them they're 275 pages thick and they're filled with writing and illustration and photography and stuff and I was so lucky to be I was lucky several times over because I was lucky to be a part of that lucky to work all these great photographers great writers cartoonists uh, and then and then the sports thing the was sports, like the icing yeah. on the cake. It really was what a life unbelievable. Yeah. Before Playboy and after Playboy, I've been a pretty ordinary guy. <laughs> but while I, I was there, I was an ordinary guy in the midst of that circus. So. Well, one of the things, which is true, you know, you sports editor, um, you, know, you wrote all these articles as well. I remember getting the Playboy, uh, one issue, and I was reading through it, and there was this article about fly fishing. Not a, I'm not a big fisherman, 
and it was I think it was a two-page spread it was beautifully done and I read the article and I go that's my bucket list that's something that I really want to do so I took those pages out and I put it on my bulletin board and, and I'd come in every morning to work and I would read that article and go okay what can I do where can I you know just whatever it was always interesting and then after a month I looked down at the bottom it's written by Gary Cole and I was like oh and I think that's when I called you I go what's the deal and, yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. and I think you you go to Montana every year yeah do you have a yeah. place or no I town? did ha I did have a place out there I don't have it anymore but yeah we took family vacations out to Montana but yeah I'd, I've always been a fisherman but I that allowed me to develop a love for fly fishing and and Playboy, I also got a chance to go deep sea fishing and write an article about that for Playboy. So they gave me a lot yeah. of opportunities to do some really wild and interesting stuff. But I know why you pin. He's he's telling us about Ryan's about how he pinned that article up. But what he's not saying is that part of the illustration we showed the equipment <laughs> that you needed the the different kinds of equipment and to model that equipment we had a very pretty girl in a little fly fishing shorts and stuff like that. So that was just in I addition I, I to that. I don't think I remember that yeah, part, yeah. And just, that was I'm just sure. That was just in addition to the hard information that was in the article, so. <laughs> well, I would, I would love to uh, reach back out to you uh, on another time um, and talk more about this, more stories. I wanna know what's going on, of course, with your blog and um, of course with the future of your book, where can they um, find information about that? Do you well, have your own website? Yeah, I do, Gary T. Cole, GaryTCole.com. Yeah, and I had to do that because Gary Is there Cole. a membership there? Do yeah. I have to? <laughs> no, it's all free. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, no, uh, that, that's why I have to have that T in there because otherwise they go to the actor's oh, website. That's a good so, point. All right, yeah. Gary T. Cole. Uh, thank you for visiting with me uh, in your hometown. Uh, it's always great to catch up with you, and we will talk very and let's soon. Let's go on a motorcycle ride soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're, you sold your bike. I sold my, but I could still you rent. You can still ride? I can, I can rent and ride. I have three in my garage right now. There, okay, there. One's not mine. Oh. You can use that one. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, and all the best. We'll catch up soon. Oh, yeah. It's all about the drive, baby.